Here's the thing. If you are now between something like 42 and 56 years old, which is roughly the age range of the Gen X cohort, you have to make this pivot stick. It has to go the distance. This is not the novelty business. You start on a lark in your 20s without caring too much about whether it fails because you have all the time in the world. It's also not the bucket list venture you embark on post-retirement because time is running out and if not now, when? No, if you are in middle age and faced with the prospect of retrofitting your career to the new economy, you need to be able to take it with you all the way to the finish line. And that finish line may be 20 years out still. Most of us aren't retiring anytime soon. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Unspeakable Podcast. This episode is going to be a little different. I'm not going to have a guest, but instead I wanted to say a couple of things to you directly. First, I'm going to talk about some changes to the show coming up in the next coming weeks and months. And then also, and actually more importantly, I want to share some thoughts I've had about the show, about podcasting in general, and just about this strange moment we seem to have found ourselves in in the culture. We being a lot of us, me, maybe you, not everyone, obviously, but I think a lot of us. The show, believe it or not, just came up on its one year anniversary. The first episode posted on July 27th, 2020. It was an interview with evolutionary biologist, Dr. Heather Hying. And we talked about, among lots of other things, the tension between biologically driven reproductive strategies and social progress. Anyway, there have been more than 40 episodes since then, and almost all of them, in one way or another, have been about tension. I try to cover a range of topics here, and that range could always stand to widen, I think. But if nothing else, the conversations I have here are fundamentally about constant or at least frequent tugs of war between what we think versus what we think we're supposed to think. Now, there are a lot of podcasts out there mining some of that territory. If you're listening to this, you probably also listen to a lot of those shows. I know I do. And some of those shows are bolstered by lots of bonus content for Patreon subscribers and things like Substack newsletters written by the hosts. I often get asked why I don't have a subscription-based newsletter like Substack. And I think there may be now as many of those as there are podcasts. I'll be honest with you. As I may have mentioned here from time to time, I happen to be at a place of pretty much complete burnout when it comes to writing opinion pieces or, as they say, takes. I've spent the better part of the last 20 years with some kind of writing gig wherein I have to weigh in on some development in the news or aspect of contemporary culture on a regular basis. And I really pretty much hit a wall last year. As much as I'd love to be able to offer a weekly dispatch from the darkest and most counterintuitive corners of my brain, I'm afraid the part of my brain that processes the zeitgeist, or more perilously, weighs in on the outrage du jour, needs a period of recharge time. That's part of the reason I like doing the show so much. Instead of constantly telling people what I think, though I still do some of that, as you know, I want to hear what other people think. I want to encourage listeners to think in ways they maybe haven't before, or at least haven't allowed themselves to think. And based on what I hear from so many of you, that is, in fact, what is happening. 
And that makes me really happy. It makes me excited about growing the show. And that is why, as you may have noticed from the little icon on the show logo on your podcast app, and even some advertisements here and there, the Unspeakable Podcast is now part of the Podcast One Network. The official launch won't be for a few weeks, but the show kind of slid onto the network last month, and I'm working with a really nice team of people to get settled in. So what does this mean for you? Right now, not much. There will continue to be ads, hopefully, and cross-promotion with other Podcast One shows, but nothing about where you get the podcast will change, and more importantly, nothing about the show itself will change. And if you're a Patreon subscriber, you'll still get your early access ad-free feed, just as always. So other than some ads down the line, really, this change should not affect your listening experience at all. Okay, with that business out of the way, here comes the part where I talk about some things that I've been feeling lately in regard to this podcast, and I guess just to myself as well. Uh, the move to Podcast One came about after many months of trying to figure out the best way to monetize the podcast beyond Patreon, specifically by moving it to an existing media company, an existing podcast network. This turns out to be a bit of a tricky business. Uh, right-wing platforms were eager to carry the show because presumably my show would make them seem less right-wing. Uh, and left-leaning public radio type platforms were interested in working with me, but only if I made changes to the show. For instance, making it an entirely different show. Some places offered to load up the show with eight or more ads. And best of all, I was told this would be done automatically. The ads would be automated using technology that detected where there was a pause while someone was talking. Um, I've had some guests that are long pausers. Can you imagine if at the cusp of hearing something potentially profound, an ad for erectile dysfunction medication or dog food came barreling through? Uh, so I didn't go in that direction, though I would uh, I'd gladly welcome any dog food sponsors since as you know, my dog Hugo makes periodic barking appearances on the show. Anyway, as I sort of stumbled around in this world, I started having all sorts of thoughts and feelings about my career, my entire professional trajectory, any number of choices I'd made throughout my life. I don't really know how to describe these feelings other than to say I found myself in what I can only describe as a regret spiral. I loved doing the podcast, and I was grateful for the satisfactions of the writing I've done over the years. But honestly, I was starting to feel like I had just done my life just completely wrong. This was the first time ever that I'd felt like this. Um, I think we all have regrets, of course, but for the most part, I've been pretty sanguine about my trajectory. Suddenly, though, I was spending a lot of time fantasizing about just going back and doing my whole life over again. Like I was imagining visiting my 20-year-old self in college and saying something like, I know you have a bunch of ideas about being a creative professional, about publishing books and being a journalist and just generally getting paid to think out loud. But I'm here to tell you that even though this may work for a while, there's going to come a time when that stops working. There's going to come a time in, I don't know, 25, 30 years when the entire business model changes, when the value systems of people whose values you thought you shared will feel like they are shifting radically. 
And when that time comes, you're going to really wish you did things differently. This is what I imagined saying to my younger self. I can't tell you how many times over the last year I've laid in bed at night and played out this dialogue. It's like a little play I'm writing in my mind. And some versions of the play, I'm telling my younger self to stop being an English major and start studying criminal justice in order to become an FBI agent, which has always had a strange allure for me. In other versions, I'm saying things like, go to law school. That's the kind of banal version. I'm saying things like, hey, you can still write. You'll always be a writer. You can't help that. But how about being a lawyer who writes or an FBI agent who writes? In real time, I've had serious or at least semi-serious conversations with myself about what it might take to become a social worker for kids in the foster care system, which is a world I know a little bit about from being a volunteer court advocate. None of these circular dialogues go very far, unsurprisingly. But when I take a step back and ask myself why I'm having them, the answer is pretty simple and also pretty depressing and scary. And this is what it is. I am 51 years old, and I have never hustled so hard in my life as I have over the last few years, professionally speaking. I have never worked so many hours, so unrelentingly, and still felt so unmoored, so overwhelmed, so clueless about how I'm supposed to go about doing my job. And I'm not just talking about this podcast. I'm talking about pretty much every aspect of being a freelance writer. So much has changed about how you promote your work, what you can expect from editors, from sales departments, from readers themselves. After almost 30 years in the same career, I have never felt like more of a beginner. And the reason I'm bothering to tell you all this is because I know for a fact that I am not the only one who feels this way. Many of us, especially people roughly in my age group, the Gen Xers that I spend too much time talking about, seem to be in some form of tortured relationship with this now ubiquitous concept commonly referred to as the pivot, the professional pivot. In case you haven't encountered this concept, the pivot, in the most basic terms, has to do with adjusting to the fact that the old way of conducting your professional life, no matter what it is, doesn't really apply anymore and you need to change with the times. When it comes to creative work, paid professional doesn't quite mean what it used to mean. And that's why so many creative professionals, content creators, as we are now called, are setting up their own shops. Instead of writing columns for big magazines, they're writing them for paid subscribers on places like Substack, or they're starting podcasts or YouTube channels where they can speak directly to their built-in audiences. In some cases, making exponentially more money than they were at their corporate media gigs. Now, I'm not going to use this time to get into the ways in which this is both a good thing and a bad thing. For what it's worth, I talked about this with my guest William DeRezowitz last fall when I interviewed him about his book, The Death of the Artist. So you can check that out if you want a deeper dive into that subject. But what I do want to get at is the pivot as a phenomenon. I want to talk about the psychological dimensions of the professional pivot. Now, obviously, this is something that affects all people of all ages, all socioeconomic levels in any number of ways. Every time I walk down the street in New York City and see how just about every restaurant has built an outdoor dining structure as a response to the pandemic, I think about how quickly they've had to adapt. I think about how so many businesses 
including tiny mom and pop immigrant run establishments, pulled it together to adapt to this situation so quickly. I marvel at those pivots, even as they make my heart break, too. But what I'm talking about now isn't really about the pandemic. Even before COVID changed the work equation for so many people, the center had long stopped holding when it came to a lot of people's assumptions about what was necessary to stay afloat as a financially independent adult. Obviously, there are countless permutations of this phenomenon. The disruptive technology of the digital economy has literally disrupted the paths and in many cases scorched the livelihoods of working people at every point on the socioeconomic map. But what I think a lot of creative people are experiencing, people like the podcasters you listen to, is a sense of having to adjust not even to a new set of rules, but to the fact that there aren't really any rules anymore. At least there are far fewer rules than there used to be. And while that's exciting, it's also just really overwhelming. There's a degree of difficulty that I think we sometimes underestimate or don't fully recognize. I'm going to add on to the point I made earlier. It's not only that I've been doing my career for three decades and have never felt more like a beginner. I think I feel more like a beginner today than I did back when I actually was a beginner. Now, maybe that's because when you're young and doing something for the first time, it's hard to grasp the level of difficulty because you have nothing to compare it to. When I was 22 and making $18,000 a year at a grueling, often emotionally abusive job, and then coming home and writing at night in the hopes of rising out of my entry-level predicament, it didn't occur to me that what I was doing was especially hard. It was just what you did to get to the next rung of the ladder. But, and I think this is key, as grim and demoralizing as those lower rungs were, the situation felt manageable because at least I could look up and see the rest of the ladder. I knew where I needed to go. I could see people around me who were at various points on that ladder and imagine myself getting there someday. What I'm saying is that at 20, I can imagine life at 30 and from there 40 and where I am today, 50. Let me emphasize that I was fully aware that it wouldn't be all smooth sailing and straightforward. First of all, I grew up in a family where, for most of my childhood and adolescence, the only means of support came from my father's often very shaky freelance career in music. Financial uncertainty is baked into me. I have a very strong stomach for not knowing where the next check is coming from, and that has its rewards as well as its drawbacks. There have also been historically some weird quirks in my ambitions, not to mention my personality, and that made the road a pretty windy one. And yes, I just changed my cliche metaphors from ladders to roads. I made some unusual choices. For instance, moving to Nebraska for no discernible reason when I was 30. And that's to say nothing of my decision in the last several years, though it wasn't really a decision, my conscience left me no choice, to refuse to participate in the mainstream media's complicity in its own hostage-taking by ideological enforcers. That's something we've covered on the show a lot. If I'd played along with that, I might have a salaried job right now. But given that a salaried job wasn't something I'd aspired to even before these new cultural battles arose, that's not a pity party I'm keen to throw. My point is that even factoring in all my professional and personal eccentricities, I never thought I'd get to 50 and feel so much like I did at 25. I never thought I'd feel this overwhelmed. And I think that's the third time I've used the word overwhelmed in this little talk. 
but I guess there's a reason. I never thought I'd feel this overwhelmed by the amount of balls I had to keep in the air, and frankly, this confused about what those balls are even supposed to be made out of. I never thought I'd be begging for help and advice from younger, often much younger people, as often as I do. Interestingly, 10 years ago, at 40, I did not feel this way. At 40, I felt like I was in a place professionally that my 25-year-old self would have approved of, would have even felt comforted by. Like my 25-year-old self would have looked at my 40-year-old self and said, okay, yes, that's where I'm headed. Fair enough. But by 50, all bets were off. It was like the record needle had scratched all the way across the vinyl and left the tone arm hanging off the side of the turntable like a dangling limb. If that seems like an outdated reference, a pathetically Gen X one at that, it's no accident. That's because the more I think about this whole idea of the professional pivot, the more I think that my generation is affected by it in a uniquely tyrannical way. Now, I was going to say uniquely challenging, since that seems nicer and less whiny. But speaking for myself and watching so many friends and colleagues in my age group attempt their own pivots, I don't think tyranny is too strong a word. And here's why. As brilliantly as some of us have adapted to the digital landscape, not a single one of us is a digital native. We were just born too early for that. If the internet were a spoken language, even the most eloquent and proficient speakers among us would still have a trace of accent. And then there's the issue of our dexterity with the only communication and marketing tool that really matters anymore, social media. Even those of us who love social media, who are great at it, me not being one of them, still hold it with a slightly awkward grasp. It's like a tool that was made for some species whose hands are configured just slightly differently. If the generations after us consider social media to be interchangeable with social encounters themselves, we still see it, at least I think most of us do, as more of an add-on. As such, it will never be an instrument that we play with the facility of someone who started as a child. We will forever be adult beginners, fumbling around like someone who's decided to pick up the guitar in midlife. Which is fine, even great, as a hobby. And this brings me to probably the most important point here. The midlife pivot a lot of us are facing right now isn't about finding new hobbies. It's really a matter of survival. It's not the cliched midlife crisis. It's a professional crisis with serious economic stakes. If you're raising a family, which mercifully I am not, and that's another advantage I have, those stakes can be so daunting as to be paralyzing. Because here's the thing. If you are now between something like 42 and 56 years old, which is roughly the age range of the Gen X cohort, you have to make this pivot stick. It has to go the distance. This is not the novelty business. You start on a lark in your 20s without caring too much about whether it fails because you have all the time in the world. It's also not the bucket list venture you embark on post-retirement because time is running out and if not now, when? No. If you are in middle age and faced with the prospect of retrofitting your career to the new economy, you need to be able to take it with you all the way to the finish line. And that finish line may be 20 years out still. Most of us aren't retiring anytime soon. And therein lies our particular jam. We're too young to retire, but with some exceptions, of course, too old to naturally finesse the kind of professional pivot that is currently required in most arenas. 
Again, I'm not saying there aren't people in their 50s or even 60s or higher who aren't making amazing bank on Substack or on YouTube. Some of those people on YouTube are my favorite people. Big surprise. What I am saying is that these mediums tend not to come naturally to most of us. Everywhere I look, I see people my age trying to figure out how to do this. I see them flailing on their video cameras as their heads veer out of the frame. I see them tinkering with their Patreon offerings, agonizing over whether to be on Patreon in the first place. I hear them asking for financial support, apologizing for asking for support, proudly describing their merchandise, self-defensively making fun of their merchandise. I hear their dogs barking in the background while they're recording. I imagine them desperately shooing the dog away, or, if they're like me, plying the dog with treats kept strategically at death's side as they try to maintain some semblance of professionalism. Since the beginning, I've been doing this podcast pretty much entirely on my own, promoting it almost exclusively on Twitter, which is really the only social media platform I use. As I've said many times to people, if I were going to properly publicize this podcast using social media, that would amount to a full-time job performed by someone who knew what they were doing, not by me. Moreover, if I were going to do with this podcast what I've been wanting to do since the beginning, offer bonus content, interact more with listeners, create a community forum where listeners can interact with one another, that would be a full-time job on top of the full-time job I currently have just doing the weekly interviews. But as I speak to you now, exactly a year, a little more than a year since starting this thing, I can tell you that as much as I sometimes feel like my inner 25-year-old has taken over my whole being, my outer 51-year-old knows we have to stay the course. Part of that is because I also have an inner 40-year-old who remembers what that fleeting moment of accomplishment felt like near the upper third of the ladder, just before the whole thing began collapsing under its own weight. And part of it is because I've come too far to turn around now. Put another way, I'm too far along in this pivot to stop turning. And also, it's too late to become an FBI agent. To that end, I'm excited to tell you that I am, as we speak, in the process of building up the unspeakable platform. I'm going to say this out loud right now, so I commit myself to it. There will be regular Zoom meetups where listeners and I can talk about recent episodes. Maybe we can even rope in a guest every once in a while. I'm also going to be conducting more informal video conversations with people who are doing various interesting things or have ideas that are worth talking about, but who aren't necessarily guests on the podcast. I'm looking into creating a YouTube channel where those videos will be available or maybe partially available to the public and available in full to Patreon subscribers. As ever, the nuanced AF merchandise line carries on. If you haven't gotten your shirt, hat, mug, thermos, stickers, magnets, or baby onesie for yourself or that nuanced person in your life, please do so. I have a perverse affinity for the baby onesie, I have to say, even though I'm not really a baby person. It's just super, super cute. So I would love to see people buying those. Patreon supporters at the $10 a month level or higher get $10 off their first purchase of Nuanced AF merch. I love when people send me photos of themselves in Nuanced AF paraphernalia. So please don't be shy. But even more than these updates, I hope that if you've made it through all this jabber, you'll maybe take away some of the things that I aim for listeners to take away from all of the episodes. And that is a feeling of being less alone. 
as I talk about all the time on the show, all the ideological nonsense out there can have a really alienating effect. It's easy to start to feel like you're the only person who thinks the way you do, that you're crazy, that you're wrong, that you're missing something. And while we're all a little crazy and sometimes wrong and almost always missing something, I know to my core that we are not alone in wanting to get past so much of the madness and stupidity out there. I also know that those of us who are finding ourselves getting older while also feeling like complete novices as we try to shift our approaches, not just the professional ones I've been talking about, but approaches to all sorts of things, we're not alone either. There are a lot of adult beginners stumbling their way through the world these days. And as hard as it can be, for me to sometimes have compassion for myself, it's not hard for me to say that I think we deserve the benefit of one another's empathy. Even if we don't feel we always get it from the world at large, or maybe even especially people in the world who look at us and laugh as we struggle to keep up, I think we owe it to ourselves to see the mid-career pivot as a group endeavor, even as we try to steer our individual ships. And the older you get, the bigger your ship. It just takes longer to turn around. I happen to have out the window of my apartment a sweeping view of the Hudson River. This is the highlight of my very small apartment, and I record the podcast at my desk right next to this window. So huge barges float past my line of vision all the time. Hugo even barks at the barges as if they're wildlife crossing through our property. Occasionally, I'll notice that one has stopped and begun a ponderous reversal of course. Sometimes with a tugboat alongside, these things start to rotate over what seems like hours. I've even seen them sit there motionless for days. I love watching the boats for all kinds of reasons. But a few times lately, when I've seen them do this, I've caught myself thinking, that's like a Gen Xer trying to make a career shift. We can be so cumbersome, so plodding, but we also have the kind of ballast you can only get from decades on various waterways of work and life and screwing up and trying again. We may not make the quickest turns, but if you'll pardon the metaphor, we can carry a lot of cargo. We can deliver things that people need, and we're not retiring anytime soon. Not that we have any choice. Anyway... You've been listening to The Unspeakable Podcast, now one year old and now on Podcast One. Join me next week for an actual guest, a super nuanced one, as always. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Frank. I don't like change. And I just saw a billboard for this new BJ's Wholesale Club talking about up to 25% off grocery store prices. Oh, really? What's wrong with paying full price, huh? No, sir. I would not join BJ's Wholesale Club. Let's agree to disagree, Frank. Say you do want to sign up now to get a $40 BJ's digital gift card. Join the new BJ's Wholesale Club, opening soon in Ross Township. Visit bjs.com slash Ross Township or the BJ's Membership Center at the Block Northway. Offer valid for a limited time. If you're struggling with alcohol or drugs, Recovery Centers of America can help. RCA's local inpatient and outpatient programs are founded on science and delivered with heart from an expert caring team who will inspire and guide you every step of the way. Call 1-888-RECOVERY now to speak with a treatment advisor. At RCA, you'll be in a community that builds connections and fosters support from peers and 
RCA's team of medical professionals and recovery support specialists. At RCA's state-of-the-art campus in Monroeville, Pennsylvania, they tailor your treatment to you and also offer specialized programs like PRIZE, a unique program for people who have been in recovery but have relapsed. Here, you won't have to start from step one. You'll build off the knowledge you've previously acquired in treatment and focus on the areas of your recovery that need improvement. RCA answers the phone and accepts patients 24-7 and is in network with most major insurance providers. Don't wait. Call 1-888-RECOVERY today. That's 1-888-RECOVERY.